Hello, and a warm welcome to the Scots and Us podcast from the American Scottish Foundation. My name is Jamie McGeehan, and we have a great episode for you as we have a look back at National Tartan Day, and we celebrate Earth Day, which takes place Thursday, April 22nd. It's been a busy time here at the American Scottish Foundation, with us recently celebrating National Tartan Day on April 16th, which truly was a wonderful occasion, with celebrations and events taking place throughout the United States and Canada. It was wonderful to see so many organisations throughout the community come together to celebrate this very special occasion, and we look forward to reflecting on that in the podcast shortly. But first up, some music. Elena Piras is a wonderful singer-songwriter and musician, originally from Sardinia and now based in the UK. Elena has performed throughout Scotland, winning many awards and gaining well-deserved recognition. In November 2020, Elena released her long-awaited new album, Where the Wind Blows, a wonderful collection of traditional Scottish and Gaelic songs. It's a great record. From Where the Wind Blows, this is Elena Piras with Wild Mountain Time. Oh, the summertime is coming And the leaves are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain time Grows around the blooming around the blooming heather will 
Wasn't that beautiful? That was Elena Piras there with Wild Mountain Time from her 2020 album Where the Wind Blows. To hear more from Elena, please visit her website, elenapiras.com. That's E-L-E-N-A-P-I-R-A-S.com. Elena Piras. And now we're joined in conversation by Camilla Hellman, President of the American Scottish Foundation, and John King Bellasai, President of the Council of Scottish Clans and Associations, and Vice President of the National Capital Tartan Day Committee. John, good afternoon. Um, Hi, Camilla, how are you? Well, I'm beginning to recover from um, all that happened last week around Tartan Day and Tartan Week. And I wanted to catch up with you um, where, with us wearing our Scottish Coalition USA hats for a moment. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, I was very proud of what we managed to do around National Tartan Day observance that we did in conjunction with the National Capital Tartan Day Committee last week. I thought it was wonderful. I, I agree with you completely. Um, and all the feedback I've gotten from people I've talked to uh, uh, has been very positive. Um, as of course, you know, Casca is a member of the coalition, a founding member of the coalition. And uh, so we were really happy to, uh, as we always are, to do things in conjunction with other coalition members. But I think Tartan Day especially um, is a sort of occasion where the coalition needs to um, raise its heads and be visible um, since the Tartan Day holiday is largely a result of efforts by the coalition back many years ago to get everybody's attention focused on it and to get the Congress focused on it um, and, and to get the word out nationally. And all of that has now resulted, here we are, 20 some odd years later, in a very broad-based U.S. Um, holiday celebration. Uh, exactly. And, you know, this has been such a challenging year and a half for everybody. But what happened last week as a result of Zoom was that we brought together 23 other organizations who celebrate Tartan Day throughout the United States, which shows how this has grown from this tiny idea in Florida into what it is today. And it gave us a chance through hearing from James Morrison to, to really reflect and go uh, and record the, the history that sometimes gets forgotten. Uh, yes, uh, James, as you know, was a former president of the National Capital Tartan Day Committee. And he was um, the president at the time that we were really getting the organization off the ground, which was the same time that the uh, that the caucus in the House of Representatives, the Friends of Scotland caucus, was getting off the ground. And James had a lot to do with uh, getting Congressman McIntyre and Duncan to agree to serve as co-chairs. And we had very close relationship with them in those first few years as they built the coalition, had built the caucus and um, got the word out. Um, it was a very satisfying time. Um, not, not that it's not today, but those early years, when you're building something, um, you get a lot of uh, uh, positive feedback. 
you you know as like I do that that you, you there's an exhilaration that comes with that when people are are coming on board with the new idea. Well, I, but I think that the great thing is that the idea came out of Florida and then in, 90s, in the mid-90s started to grow from there and resulted in 98 in Tartan, National Tartan Day being adopted. Uh, however, from that, all these groups around the United States, with the help of Duncan MacDonald, who was very much about getting ambassadors around the United States going, um, have really has really led us to where we are today. And I thought maybe we'd just um, talk about a few of the areas that we, uh, that, uh, groups that joined us last week and about all they're doing. Well, uh, I was very pleased with the turnout. Uh, of course, there were some others that we would have liked to have had there. And for one reason or another, they weren't able to join us. But um, those who were there, um, I was impressed with, uh, with the wide range of what they're doing um, and the geographic spread of the representatives we had. Um, it wasn't just people from the Northeast or, or the East Coast, as um, it often happens. Uh, it's a big country and there's lots of Scottish Americans all over it. And uh, to have people from um, Los Angeles, um, from out west, uh, from down south, uh, Midwest, all on there was great. It truly is a national holiday. Well, and that has been something that you and I have been trying to have, have vocalized. But I think as we did this Zoom messaging of all these people, which probably is something we need to look to do again and keep as part of it, virtual and in person, was great. I mean, Tartan Day South I've known about, but um, they really explained that they do a, a whole festival. They do. They the, the, those two guys are, uh, are are event organizers by profession and and music promoters, and so they know how to put a good program together. And they've been doing, I have not myself gotten down there to that event. I want to do that. It's been a timing thing, but they, they are going strong. They get a really good attendance um, from throughout the Southeast. And um, that's a success story. What's going on in Los Angeles was uh, all uh, uh, new information for me. That sounds like that's going strong. Um, it's, you know, I think the thing about the holiday that's flexible is you can celebrate it in whatever way is meaningful to you. If you have a small organization of just a few people, you can get together for dinner and, and toast the holiday. Um, and maybe somebody can make some remarks about Scottish contributions in their state or their city. And, and if you want to put on a bigger program like they do in the Carolinas, like we do in Washington, like you do in New York, that's fine too. It's very I, flexible. Very I love the program that came out of LA because as they said, we make films, we make movies. Exactly. And so <laughs> St. Andrews LA turned their attention to that and did a film festival. Yes. Uh, which was fantastic. And then we heard from uh, Viscount Dan Russell, Andrew Morrison, of what goes on down in San Antonio normally at the Alamo, yes. which I had no yes. idea about. I've heard a recording of his remarks at the Alamo. And um, as an expatriate Texan, I can tell you that it is 
a pretty well-kept secret nationally that most uh, of the defenders of the Alamo were uh, either Scottish immigrants or descendants of Scottish immigrants. And of course, that was often the case in frontier America, but it was especially the case at the Alamo. And I've heard a recording of Andrew's remarks at the Alamo a number of years ago about that. It's very educational. I'm working on him to write a little article about that for our newsletter. Um, and when he does that, um, he loves to write and, and is a good writer. Um, when he does that, I'll make sure that you all get that. Maybe we can post it on the coalition website. I, I hope so. And the coalition website, I feel, is going to be a great portal for collecting the information of all these different organizations' activities as we go forward. Um, Dayton, Ohio, um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, all of them are doing different things. And as you say, it can be one event or it could be several, like with Carter Day South, who told me that they're planning a regatta next year. Yes. Yes. Which is incredible. Um, well, it is. And I think, you know, the, since the coalition got things started at that get together in Florida and the co and most coalition members are still around and still um, organizationally active, um, that we really ought to continue to carry the flag on this. So I'm delighted. I know you are um, and you should get a lot of credit for doing it. Um, now that we have a website for the coalition, we have a portal, we have a place, we have a, a, a landing space for um, what we wanna talk about, uh, maybe adding some, some new voices to the coalition, we've talked about that, and certainly a place where people can go and visit at their convenience, at their leisure, and see what, what's planned. Um, and we talked about posting um, a recording of the remarks, maybe maybe audio yeah. and video. So I think that's great. Um, and, and also making sure that the history is correct. Yes. Which has been something that you and I have been concerned about. Well, yes. Like a lot of other things in the Scottish community, um, take, for example, Kirkin of the Tartan. Uh, there's a real history to that. It started in a particular place, happened to be in Washington, D.C., but could have been anywhere. And it was associated with fundraising for the British war effort in uh, 1939, 1940, before the states got into World War II, when Britain stood alone against the Nazis and the Japanese. And um, it was an effort by Dr. Peter Marshall, who was... Um, um, the president of our St. Andrews Society and also the chaplain up in the Congress um, to do a, and, and a Scottish immigrant to do a fundraiser. And it spread from there. Now, I'm sure, and, you know, we can talk about this all we want. I'm sure there were things done in churches in Scotland in times past that did involve um, tartan and, and the blessing of tartans. But as, as we know it in the United States, it started there. Likewise, with 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 Tartan Day, it has a real history, um, and it does, in fact, um, need to be um, preserved. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody has to do it the way that it was done 20 years ago. Far from it. But everybody ought to know kind of how it got started, who was instrumental, what the goals were. And that's why I thought it was important that when we did what we did on the 6th, that we actually read the congressional resolutions uh, creating the holiday so that people could see 
that it wasn't just an excuse to have a parade, uh, but it was really to recognize the contributions of Scots and Scottish Americans to the formation of the country and to its development ever since. So it's not just um, uh, James Monroe and, um, and, and Alexander Hamilton and the Scots who were involved as founding fathers, but it's, you know, John Glenn and Neil Armstrong in the 20th century, first man in space, first man on the moon, all the rest of that. I mean, Scots have constantly contributed in every way to the development of the United States. And that's what we're celebrating. I, I um, believe that very strongly for several years because there were all the, in New York, we tend to do more um, celebrations with Kayleys and, and music and everything. And I was concerned when I joined the American Scottish Foundation that we weren't remembering what the roots were. And I started doing an observance yes. as part of what we did yes. over at, uh, at Brown Park and reading those re those. Well, and I think reading, reading the Declaration of Arborough also, which we did, is important because that was the inspiration. Um, you know, people are still talking about debating and discussing, what is there a real link? Um, and, and more scholarship is coming out. And we're seeing that, in fact, there probably was an indirect inspiration and connection. Um, but, you know, whether you accept that or not, you can celebrate the holiday today in the 21st century for what it is, which is a celebration of Scottish contributions to the development of the United States, period, which is never ending. It started at a certain time. It's continuing through today. So it, it's vital, it's alive, uh, but people want to know where it came from so that they can appreciate um, what they're a part of. Well, I'm so glad that you and I can have this moment to talk about it and reflect on what happened last week. There were so many events going on, but I was very proud and happy for us to be working together on this particular event, which I thought was very important. Agree entirely. Agree entirely. So to talk again soon. Thank you very much. Yes. Bye-bye now. Thanks to Camilla Hellman and John King Belisai for joining us in conversation to reflect on the events of National Tartan Day and the wonderful efforts throughout the community to celebrate this very special occasion which saw events taking place throughout the US and saw the Scottish Coalition USA and the National Capital Tartan Day Committee work closely together on special programming to commemorate the occasion. We're going to have some more music now. Scottish singer-songwriter Mike Nisbet is one of the most prolific musicians I know. Originally from the picturesque town of Oban on Scotland's west coast, he now lives in London and I've been following his music career quite closely over the years. It's amazing to me how many great Scottish musicians there are who I think would do brilliantly over here in the US. And with Mike Nisbet, I do hope he'll get the chance to tour over here at some point. This is Mike Nisbet with Paint. Up 
picture of me on your wall Painted red, painted dark, painted tall Draw tall, strong man with a strong, strong face Draw tall, strong man hanging over this Facebook, facebook.com slash Nisbet Mike. That's N-I-S-B-E-T-M-I-K-E. And now we're joined in conversation with American Scottish Foundation President Camilla Hillman and archaeologist and environmentalist Roderick B. McLennan as we honour and celebrate our planet during Earth Week. 
Roderick McLennan, an ASF member, has led several expeditions to Scotland. His most recent being the Isle of Valley Archaeology Climate Change Expedition. Roderick carried the Explorers Club Flag 109 on the expedition to the wild and uninhabited island of Valley in the North Atlantic to record the effects of rising seas and violent storms on endangered coastal archaeology sites. With Scotland hosting the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow in November, it's great to see Scotland at the centre of discussions about the environment. We go now to the conversation. Good morning, Rod. I'm so glad to catch up with you. Are you still down in the south of uh, the US? Well, uh, thank you, uh, Kamala. I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is quite different than any part of Scotland here. We're very dry and, <laughs> and uh, a dry day in, uh, out in the US would be a surprise. <laughs> and talking of US, it's the reason we're sort of catching up with you today because the coming days will see us um, realizing and discussing our environment, our climate, and the challenges to our world uh, during Earth Week. And you and I met with the American Scottish Foundation as you were about to go off on an expedition back to Uist, um, it, where with your in your archaeological um, uh, role. Um, and it was really fascinating as we talked because you were explaining about the warming of the oceans and the impact this was having on the coast of Scotland, which we can get to, but the impact upon the archaeological situation the early days. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? And so we see this bigger picture of not just the waters are warming and it's causing erosion, but what that means in that deeper way. Well, the west coast of Scotland is probably uh, the most exposed. And the reason why is the Gulf Stream hits that part of Scotland. And uh, all along the coast then, it was a very uh, great environment. And, and if you see the, uh, the runes there, the archeological runes and structures, uh, these go back uh, all the way to the Neolithic times. And there's a wonderful area of them, but because of the coast itself, they were taking advantage of what they could get from the sea as well as from the land. And that puts us right down on the edge of the water, the edge of the salt water, and the rise in the storms that are coming in, we're, we're seeing uh, the disappearance of a lot of our cultural heritage from this area. Uh, in the two expeditions we had about two years apart, I, even then in that short time period, I could see things that were disappearing. And uh, we were recording as much as we can but the sea was taking things away rather rapidly. Uh, some things we didn't even know were there were exposed. There were times when uh, uh, pieces would show up uh, and they had, and you had hours to, to salvage that before uh, the sea took it away. And this was part of it. And when you talk about the sea taking these things away, um, if you could explain a little bit to our listeners, this is the very early settlers who had put their, in, their villages and encampments down on what is now the shoreline. So all that erosion has now exposed that. 
Well, that's true. And we're, we're basically losing part of the islands. So we're going back uh, just after the last ice age. And in uh, that part of Scotland is, is being settled. And one of the things you're gonna take advantage of is those things that come from the sea, the fishing and the shells in all different types of uh, things off the coast. Uh, at one point they were making, uh, I would say bowls and things out of the uh, vertebrae of whales. So they're taking advantage of that coast. But the problem is uh, when you're down on, on that, between the warming of the seas makes it rise. So areas that were dry before, then you could have a village there. And that is true along the, a lot of the edges of Scotland, which is a very rugged coast. You see that now in the short order, they are disappearing. Uh, case in point is some people uh, would know what a brock was. It's kind of a tower structure. And uh, one there uh, was standing originally uh, to a height of about 14 feet. And even uh, in probably the early 1900s, an iron sword was found laying on the floor in this structure. By the time we get there, there's two levels of stone still standing and every high tide, it's covered by the sea. So this is what is happening in, in the structure and we have yet to identify who exactly it's from. Uh, the Vikings are a big, Thing here later on, you'll find out the formation of some of the early clans in the islands. This is are related to distinct structures there. And so this cultural heritage, as, as the sea takes it away, the connection you can make to those early people is gone. Uh, I've, go ahead. Uh, I've I was gonna say, have you um, been doing um, archeological digs in other parts of Scotland? Have you gone up? to Orkney well, and uh, uh, to the more west, uh, to the more northern islands. Yes, actually, one of the first times I worked there was out in an island called Rousey, which is part of the Orkney uh, archipelago in, in the north. And this is uh, one of the most famous sites in old Scotland world. Scatterbray is part of that group out there. And they are seeing uh, at this was exposed by the sea originally in a large storm. And now they're very afraid that the sea is going to take it back. And this time permanently, it isn't just dunes covering it, but it's starting to wash away as the islands themselves disappear. So Scotland, um, I was reading the other day that that 2,300 miles of Scotland's soft coastline at risk. So what do we do about that? That's a, an enormous mileage. Well, it, it is, and there probably aren't enough archeologists in the world to cover all of it. There are two organizations, uh, one called SCARF and the other called SCAPE. And the, uh, Scotland is using, um, I would say uh, local volunteers and everything to identify what is being exposed. And they're doing the best they can to uh, salvage what they can to record what it looks like and salvage what they can, but it's a losing battle. They can save only so much. Uh, the rugged coastline of Scotland is, is bigger than, uh, more exposed than many very large countries. And what are the um, most at risk areas? Is it the West Coast because of the Gulf Stream more than 
the East Coast? Well, it's the West Coast. The West Coast is also more rugged than the East Coast uh, by a bit. And uh, on the West Coast, you have the Gulf Stream coming up. Now that's the warm water coming up. And Scotland is so close to the Arctic, I don't think people realize that, that the ice cold water melting and coming down, there are more storms than there have been in the past. And it's these storms that can, sudden storms that can take away a lot of it. it this is, uh, the rock is kind of soft and it will erode away whole sections of the islands themselves, where we'll see smaller islands and some islands will just disappear or be uninhabitable after a while. But you have been working with certain museums as well um, and um, to identify artifacts and then to put them into, um, into protection. Is that sure, correct? Some of the Yes, there's, uh, there's a local museum that uh, works with this on North Uist, and uh, it's, a, it's a very good local source. Uh, they are also located, uh, involved with a couple of universities in Scotland. Uh, the Scotland University of Highlands and Islands is very involved in, in a lot of this. Well, we work very closely with them, and we're going to be talking with them um, in the next week or so around um, what they're doing for the communities to help with the regeneration through the environmental issues. So perhaps we can ask you to come back and join us as we speak with Highlands, University of Highlands and Islands um, and see how everything that you're all doing is crisscrossing. That would be very interesting. Well, it would be very much so. And uh, people have to understand Scotland is way ahead of a lot of places in how they deal with their archaeology and how scientific it is. Uh, they have some wonderful people working there. Well, that's the thing. And now this year, there will be COP26 happening in Glasgow. And we're halfway to COP, as we keep saying. Um, will you keep an eye on that? What are you hoping to see from that? Well, uh, definitely. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm hoping Scotland, which is a fantastic place for it, will be able to share some of the techniques and the standards that they're trying to hold on to and uh, convince other people that this needs to be done. I hope because this becomes public, uh, they all will be able to get more funding from the government or other sources so they can be right on the spot when things are are disappearing and salvage what they can. Well, I look forward to catching up with you further and keeping this conversation going in the months ahead. Um, this has always been so important to us at the ASF um, and to have you um, a member and um, such a good friend to us um, able to explain a lot of this is great. Thank you, Rod, for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you kindly to American Scottish Foundation President Camilla Hellman and archaeologist and environmentalist Roderick B. McLennan for that insightful conversation. To find out more about Roderick McLennan's work and projects including the Isle of Valley Archaeology Climate Change Expedition, in addition to some of the beautiful artwork of Scotland from June Julian, please visit doublediamondarchaeology.org. That's doublediamondarchaeology.org. There's some brilliant resources on the website and links to publications from Rod and June, 
and you can make a donation to contribute towards their continued research into environmental issues in Scotland. I've got some stunning new music for you now from Scottish singer Ainsley Hamill. Ainsley has a long list of nods, including the BBC Radio Scotland Young Traditional Musician of the Year finalist and Gaelic Singer of the Year finalist at the MG Alba Scots Trad Music Awards. She's represented Scotland at Eurovision in Gothenburg and has appeared at folk festivals the world over. 2021 sees a new direction for Ainsley with the release of her debut feature album, Not Just Shetland, produced by BBC composer Malcolm Lindsay. Not Just Shetland, which was released last month, is inspired by the surroundings and unsung heroes of Govan and Glasgow. Hailing from the west coast of Scotland, and now based in London, Ainsley specialises in songwriting and songs in Scottish Gaelic and English. Her love of Gaelic song was nurtured while studying at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, and her trad roots are close to her heart. This is absolutely beautiful, and I think you're going to love it. It's Bell of the Ball by Ainsley Hamill. So don't lose her, she's a talent, but 
Wow, that really was something special. That was Ainsley Hamill there with Belle of the Ball, from her wonderful debut album, Not Just Shipland, which was inspired by the surroundings and unsung heroes of Govan and Glasgow. Ainsley is a special talent who is not only an incredibly gifted singer, songwriter and musician, but also a teacher of music and Scottish dance and who does a lot of great work with the Association of Exiled Scots who teach Scottish culture all over the world. Wonderful to hear from Ainsley and she certainly deserves to do very well indeed with her debut album, Not Just Shipland. To hear more from Ainsley, visit her website at ainsleyhamill.com That's A-I-N-S-L-E-Y H-A-M-I-L-L dot com ainsleyhamill.com Fantastic. And now, to round things off for this episode of the Scots and Us podcast, I'm joined by American Scottish Foundation President Camilla Hellman. Thank you, Jamie, for a great programme. I so enjoyed the two segments we've been able to do this week. Tartan Day, Roundup, uh, the National Look at Everything, and then also talking about uh, everything coming up around Earth Week and um, a comment and a catch up with Roderick McKinnon. Yes, indeed. It's been a wonderful programme as we reflected on National Tartan Day. And I thought the conversation with Roderick McLennan around his environmental work was extremely insightful. He's doing great work. Thank you for all your help as this year, of course, Tartan Week was very much a virtual experience. And the American Scottish Foundation events were, were virtual in large part. Even what we did at Brown Park was a streaming situation in large part. But also there were so many events being offered by all our partners, which I now am so glad to see, as we will be doing, people are offering the ability to catch up on what they might have missed. And so in the days ahead, we'll be sharing our news on that. But the thing that I'm most proud of um, and pleased that we managed to get across was the event we did with the National Capital Tartan Day Committee and the Scottish Coalition, of which ASF is a member. Um, Speaking of how Tartan Day, which is celebrated each year on April 6th, is now not just in New York or in Washington or in LA. It's now something that has grown organically, ground roots, however one wants to put it, throughout the country. And because of Zoom, we were able to carry messages and um, updates from over 23 of our partners. And that's um, from Tartan Day South to LA with Tartan Day Film Festival to Pittsburgh, to San Antonio. It was wonderful. And there's so many more that were, you know, that we couldn't join us that day, but wanted to um, do so. So I'm very pleased that we started that uh, opportunity to tell the bigger story. It was wonderful. National Tartan Day was celebrated with such passion all over the US and it was great to experience National Tartan Day at first hand as this is my first year of living here in the United States so a special occasion for me as a Scot living here. It really was special. I knew of Tartan Day South being a big celebration. I had no idea it was five days and included, I believe, if they haven't done it yet, they're, they're intending to have a regatta. And New York... I mean, I really enjoyed 
Um, and I'm very proud that ASF is a part of the organizing committee of the parade. Though it's very sad that we weren't all together, I think that we are gain there's something that is being gained from the virtual, and hopefully we meld those things in the years to come. Absolutely. It seems like the way forward to incorporate streaming with the in-person events in future, and that will become an ongoing feature, allowing people all over the world to tune in and participate. With New York Tartan Week, the virtual Tartan Day Parade was brilliant, and the organising committee put together something very special indeed. Of course, I know everyone will be looking forward to getting together in person next April for New York Tartan Week, and I'm sure the time will fly until then. I think this past year has shown the strength of community and the bonds of friendship that join us all. And now we're about to go into Earth Week and the celebration of our wonderful environment. ASF has been involved for many years around trying to do something during Earth Day, Earth Week, because we did an exhibit several years ago that has been touring around the United States up to last year, called In the Footsteps of John Muir by Ken Patterson. And we've done it in conjunction with uh, the national parks uh, because John Muir's birthday is on the 21st of April. And he's often called the father of the national parks movement. And then Earth Day is the 22nd. So we would often normally be involved in things around that. So this year we're looking at coast and waterways and we realised also that we're halfway to COP26, which, of course, Scotland will be hosting in November. And so it was great this week to catch up with Roderick McLennan, who has done so much around archaeology. So that was great to hear. But also we are then going to do an event on May 7th in conjunction with National Trust in Scotland, who are going to be showing a film that they have around the gardens and the coasts. And with several other leading guests, including members from the University of Highlands and Islands, who will speak about um, economic impact and trying to help communities through uh, employment um, and this also around the environmental issues. So that I think is great. So, but Jamie, we also have been hearing a lot from the festivals, haven't we, in the Highland Games? Yes, I'm delighted with the news that the Edinburgh International Festival in Scotland will be back this year as an in-person event. It's taking place from the 7th of August to the 29th of August and basically this year all the performances will be outside in beautiful bespoke performance spaces, socially distanced and safe. And there's also news coming through about the Fringe in the coming days, isn't there? Yes, we're looking forward to sharing more on this soon. The Edinburgh Fringe are offering support to artists and performers to find performance spaces for this year's Edinburgh Fringe. We'll be reporting more on this very soon, but it certainly sounds promising. And um, we've also, Mike Reed, who is um, always takes on this great task um, around the Highland Games, has been catching up and reporting on the updates going on. And um, though many of them will be scaled back, we do seem to have some news that there are going to be some Highland Games happening this summer. Mike Reed has done a fantastic job of researching and compiling a very thorough list of updates of upcoming in-person Highland Games across the US, 
upcoming virtual Highland Games, postponed games and cancelled games. He's done a great job and it's all available on the American Scottish Foundation website at americanscottishfoundation.org. I think that that's great. And we update it every month. So if people have news for us, like we heard from Detroit, who said, hey, we're now happening. You know, the Detroit games will be happening. Can you make sure to list it? Or we heard about the um, the Round Hill games at Lime Rock that are now happening in June. So we're, we're excited to know any bits of news you have for us. So please uh, do be in touch with us. So... Um, Wow, can you believe it's 15 months since we probably moved around? I mean, March 10th, we got told it's lockdown. Most of us stopped moving around sometime in February. I mean, it really is quite incredible, isn't it? It certainly has been the strangest time, but it has been great also to interact and connect with so many people, not just in the US or Scotland, but across the world as we all make our way through this really strange time together. And I've been very grateful to everyone out there who I've connected with over the last year. It certainly always helps to have a friendly conversation. And you've now, here in the States, you're married, you're working with lots of us throughout the community, you're enjoying your music as well. So thank you, Jamie. We love working with you and uh, and doing all these programmings with you um, and to catching up with you in the next few days. Thank you. Thank you very much, Camilla. I'm feeling good and it's great to be involved in so many projects at the moment. I don't think I've stopped since I arrived here and I'm grateful for it as it's kept me going and kept me in good spirits. And certainly I'm very grateful for that. And it's a great thing to be involved with the projects of the American Scottish Foundation and I'm looking forward. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Scots and Us podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks to our guests Roderick B. McLennan and John King Belisai. I hope you've enjoyed the music from Elena Piras, Mike Nisbet and Ainsley Hamill who shared their brilliant talents with us. To keep up to date with the American Scottish Foundation, we're active across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can read our ASAF magazine on our website at americanscottishfoundation.org with new articles and stories added regularly. We've also just launched our new revamped Sounds from Scotland programme on Facebook Live with features, news, music and interviews and it's live on the third Sunday of every month. Just yesterday, I was joined by award-winning Scottish songwriter Iona Fife and founder of the globally renowned Scottish sensation that is the Red Hot Chili Pipers. It made for a great show and you can watch it back on our YouTube platform. Just search for American Scottish Foundation. So, to finish up, we'll have a lovely song from my guest on the Sounds from Scotland programme, Iona Fife. Iona is an award-winning songwriter and musician who is at the forefront of promotion of singing in Scots and Doric and raising awareness of Scots and Doric as languages. I hope you can join us again for the next episode of the Scots and Us podcast. My name is Jamie McGeechan. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll leave you with the beautiful sounds of Iona Fife and the Bonnie Lass of Fivey.
Oh, oh. 